Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's been about a year uh, since I began a children's message with a nursery rhyme. And uh, and maybe you remember it. uh, Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Uh, Open the doors and see all the people. And, uh, and, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of catchy. I, uh, I remember learning it as a, a little kid. I think my dad, of all people, was the one who uh, taught it to me. Uh, but the thing that I didn't know a year ago, and uh, what I learned this past week, is there's actually a second verse uh, to this rhyme. And uh, as we begin this morning, I, I want to teach that second verse to all of you. And so uh, if you'd like to follow along, or if you're the kind of person who likes to have something to do with your hands while you're listening to a sermon, uh, you're welcome uh, to join me and repeat after me. You get your church back out, you put your steeple up, and then if you want to repeat after me, it goes like this. You can have a church, you can have a church without a steeple, but you can't have a church without any people. You have a church without a steeple, but you can't have a church without any people. And uh, I begin with this for two very specific reasons today. And, uh, and the first of those reasons is that it is uh, it's a reminder of what the church really is. The church is a bunch of people. As someone who speaks uh, modern 21st century English, I find that I, I regularly need this reminder uh, because modern 21st century English uh, use the word church in a bunch of ways. I mean, the church can mean a, a building like the nursery rhyme tells us, sometimes with a steeple. Uh, the church can refer to, uh, to an event, an event that we attend on Sunday mornings, maybe even sometimes on Wednesday nights. Uh, the church can refer to an organization with a staff and an organization that has a certain status with the IRS, uh, or the church can refer to people, which is the way that, uh, that Jesus refers to the church, and it's, uh, it's the way that, uh, that the New Testament talks about the church. You can have a church without a steeple, but you can't have a church without the people. See, the church is a bunch of people, a bunch of broken flawed, sinful people who are nevertheless forgiven and called together so that together we might figure out what it looks like to love and follow our Lord in a world like this. You can have a church without a steeple, but you can't have a church without any people. The second reason uh, that I I begin with this is because today's reading from 1 Peter is all about the church, more specifically, what it means to be the church, what it means to be the church in a, in a world that doesn't often uh, know who Jesus is, in a world that doesn't often uh, want to know who Jesus is, and yet in a world that God loves so much that he sent his son Jesus for all of it. What does it mean to be the church? Today's reading from 1 Peter is going to show us that you can have a church without a steeple, but you can't have a church without all the people. 
And so uh, it's with those uh, thoughts in mind that we turn our attention back to uh, this set of readings that we've been working our way through uh, during September and the early weeks of October, a set of readings that come from the book called First Peter. And if you were here uh, two weeks ago, then you learned a little bit of the history and context about First Peter. You learned uh, that it is written about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. You learned that it's uh, written by the Apostle Peter, who's under arrest in the city of Rome. And you learned that it's written to a bunch of Christians, a bunch of, a bunch of brand new Christians living in a place called Asia Minor, which we know today as modern-day Turkey. You know, these Christians, sometimes they're persecuted for their faith. But more often than that, uh, they're simply seen as strange, weird outsiders. These strange, weird outsiders who believe something uh, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to the people around them and who follow something that, that tends to make their lives more and not less complicated. Because they have to love people even when loving is hard. Not only that, uh, we learned uh, two other very specific and important things about these people. First, we learned that most of them are brand new Christians. They've just been baptized, and they've just learned what their faith is all about. And second, uh, most of them are not Jewish. Most of them are Gentiles. And yet, their baptism, just like your baptism, makes them God's chosen people. You see, that's why this letter, uh, which is more like a sermon and, and more like a very specific kind of sermon, a confirmation sermon, uh, starts with a, a poem or a song of thanksgiving because God has taken people who were not his people and turned them into his people. And it's exciting and it's incredible. But rather quickly, it leads to this question. And that question is what the second half of chapter 1 is all about. And that question is, uh, so if you are God's chosen people, and, uh, and if you're following him in a world that thinks you're strange, doesn't always understand who he is, what does that look like? See, Peter, uh, he answers this question at the end of uh, chapter 1. You know, he says, well, you place your hope in the gift the grace that's been given to you. And, uh, and uh, you know, you do what God says because he's chosen you, set you apart, and, and you remain reverent, even though you're a stranger, you, you love one another, and, and you strive to know him better. And, and that's what you do when you're, when you're following Jesus in a world where you're a stranger, and, and a lot of the people around you don't don't seem to understand who he is or why you follow him. You know, all of it's leading to this conversation that we're going to get to next week uh, where we learn that our strangeness, our good deeds, uh, might just serve as a witness. See, people will see our strangeness, and, and, and when they see it, they might just begin to praise God too. But before we get there, uh, Peter has one more thing to say about what it means to be God's chosen people, what it means to be the church, and that's the reading you just heard. And now, by a quick show of hands, uh, how many of you are a pastor or studying to be a pastor? 
Yeah, this is great. So we, uh, we got Pastor Mike and myself, uh, we got three seminarians, and we got another pastor who uh, happens to be visiting with us today. All right, one more question. Uh, how many of you are a priest? All right, so I, I see a, a bunch of bewildered looks. I see a few people with their hands down. You know, if I don't answer the question, I can't get the question wrong. And I see a few people who, who might just have been here back in the spring when, uh, when Peter Nasker, a professor at the seminary, also a member here at Messiah, was teaching a class on First Peter. And uh, for those of you who weren't here for that, uh, or weren't here that morning, uh, then it's, it's kind of a tricky question because we don't regularly hear the word priest uh, in a Lutheran church. I mean, if you were in a Catholic church, you'd certainly hear the word priest, or if you're in an Orthodox church or an Episcopal church, you'd, you'd certainly hear the word priest. But you don't regularly hear the word priest in a Lutheran church uh, unless you're hearing today's reading from 1 Peter. You know, Peter answers this question. You... Peter says. And the, the you is plural in Greek, and so it sounds more like uh, you all. You all are a holy priesthood. You all are priests. This uh, naturally leads to the question, okay, so if we are all priests, well, what does that mean? And uh, if you happen to be in my confirmation class, you're probably tired of hearing me talk about this because uh, this is very important, but a priest, a priest has two very important jobs. You see, a priest's first job is to, uh, is to go from God to the people, you know, to, to represent God's interest, to speak on his behalf, and to explain the kind of things that he cares about. Uh, a priest's first job is to go before the people on behalf of God. And the priest's second job is to go before God on behalf of the people, to share their prayers, to convey their concerns, and, and to express their contrition, their sorrow for all the ways that they don't measure up. And, and that's when a priest returns to his first job. He goes back to the people on behalf of God, and he, and he tells them that they're forgiven, tells them that they're loved, tells them that they are still God's people. A priest's job is to go back and forth and forth and back. And in the Old Testament, uh, a few people uh, were set aside for this purpose. A few people uh, were given this kind of access to God. You see, all of that changes uh, with the arrival of Jesus. Uh, Peter tells us this today. He says, you all are a holy priesthood. You all have access to God. And so, just like an Old Testament priest, we can, we can pray directly to the Father. Just like an Old Testament priest, we can forgive one another. And, and just like an Old Testament priest, uh, we are called, we are commanded, Jesus says, to share the word of God. If you're curious how, how a pastor fits into all of this, uh, it's pretty simple. The difference between a pastor and a priest, the difference between Pastor Mike and myself, uh, and, and all of us who are priests, is that a pastor is simply someone who has been set aside by a group of Christians uh, to do these things on their behalf publicly and in worship. You know, the Bible even gives us some instructions how you go about selecting a, a person like, all, like that. 
But, you know, all of that brings us back to, uh, to what it means to be a priest and what it means to be a holy priesthood. Well, that means for us as God's chosen people, and, and I think it means uh, two things for us, at least two things for us today. Uh, first, it, it might just mean that we have a more important role, a more important job than we ever imagined. Because God doesn't just set aside a few people to represent him in the world. He sets aside a few people to represent him in here publicly in worship, but he sets aside all of us to represent him out there. This brings us uh, to the second thing that I think it means for us, and this part I'm convinced is the challenge to being the church, uh, not, not a building, but the people. Being, being the church means that we are priests. And so we are called to represent God to the world, and then we are called to represent the world to God. And Jesus, he, he gives us a picture of what this looks like. I mean, I just, I think about the kind of people that Jesus spent time with. No one, no matter how broken, no matter how sinful, no matter how opposed to him, no one was ever turned away. And Jesus calls us to go and do likewise. And that, that creates this challenge because uh, he doesn't just call us to be priests. He calls us uh, to be holy priests, to be set apart, to look different, to follow him. You see, these two things, they, uh, they create a tension for us. Because as we go to the world... It's, it's tempting to let go of what it means to be holy, to be set apart, to follow Jesus. And, and as we strive to be holy, as we strive to care about the things that God cares about, it, it is tempting to neglect our job as priests. It's tempting to, to write off a world that God so dearly loves. It's tempting to think that we have done something special to earn our place as God's holy chosen people. You see, this is why uh, Peter, Peter concludes this section of his letter the way he does. You see, uh, uh, verses, verse 10 kind of ends this section. Verses 11 and 12, they transition to the next part of this letter. Uh, but this is why Peter ends this section the way he does. Uh, verse 10, I want to read it to you. He says, uh, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now, now you have received mercy. And to a bunch of Gentiles who were brand new Christians, to a bunch of, of Gentiles, uh, people who were not God's people and yet have just received their baptism into Christ, a bunch of people have just learned what their faith really means, those words would have spoken powerfully to them. You know, they speak just as powerfully to us. Because once we were not God's people, but through our baptism, God makes us his people. It's not what we have done, it's what he has done. See, it's by his grace, by what Jesus accomplished, that we belong to him. 
And it might just mean that we have a, a more important job, a more important role than we ever imagined. And it might just mean that we have to live in this tension, the tension of, of being holy and set apart, but also representing God to the world and the world to God, and yet by God's grace and through his spirit, it's what he makes possible. You know, when we stumble, when we fail, when we, when we neglect what he has given to us, he offers us his grace. He offers us his forgiveness. He offers us encouragement for this is why we are called. This is why we are set apart, not for ourselves, but for the sake of a world that God so dearly loves. And it turns out uh, that if you, uh, if you go looking you can find a bunch of verses to that nursery rhyme uh, that I mentioned at the beginning of my sermon. Uh, not all of them are appropriate for the pulpit, uh, but, but my favorite of them goes like this. Here's my church. It might have a steeple. You're welcome inside. We're all imperfect people. See, that's who we are. We are imperfect people, and yet we are imperfect people that God loves and that God sends into a world that he so dearly loves. And so may God bless you as, as you represent him out there, as you discover that, that you might just have a more important role because imagined. And as you live in that tension of of representing him to a world that God loves and remaining faithful and devoted to him. May God grant that to you for Jesus' sake. Amen.